Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me here, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous men his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion of him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heaven are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that with I purpose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led for his peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break from forth into singing, and all the trees and the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come out the cypress, instead of the briar shall come out the marrow. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thank you, Jose Pablo. Wasn't that beautiful with that Spanish accent? I love that. <laughs> it's a great joy uh, to be with you this morning for both Esther and me at this year's Missions Fest. We want you to know how much we cherish our partnership with College Church over many years, first in Ukraine and uh, then in Czech Republic and more recently in the Middle East. Thank you for your partnership with us in the gospel over these many years. This morning we have the privilege of looking together at one of the great passages in the Bible on the satisfaction found in Christ alone. In fact, The call of God to all peoples, to all nations, to find their ultimate satisfaction in him. So as we come to this passage, as we come to God's word, please pray with me right now. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that it's living, it's active. We trust that it will accomplish the purpose that you have for it. And I 
I pray now that you would fulfill your promise, that your word would um, accomplish your purpose in each individual life here this morning for your glory and for the furthering of your kingdom. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, almost two years ago, on Christmas Eve 2021, our first and only grandchild was born, a little girl named Nina Marie. To say that we were excited would be an understatement. (laughs) As photos and videos of little Nina have flooded our phone from our daughter, um, we can barely contain ourselves, you know, uh, from showing them to unsuspecting strangers who might meet us and ask about our family and say something like, not even suspecting what they're getting themselves into, but saying, do you have any children? What about grandchildren? And our hands are sort of itching to, as we reach for our phone, you know, and we're like, oh, I just have a few hundred pictures here. Um, just take a couple of hours, I'm sure you wouldn't mind, to show them our granddaughter. Now I know why grandparents are so incorrigible. We're so in love with these little ones. We can't help but tell others about him or her. Well, this is a prime example of what uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, articulated when he said, what we really love and value, we want to share with others. When something brings us joy, we want to tell others about it. And the telling of it, in some sense, completes the joy. That's especially true when we come into an experience, and it really is an experience, of Jesus Christ entering our lives, God's greatest gift, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation through him. And we see this in the excitement of new believers. The classic example that I always think of is a professional football player Um, in the church that my dad pastored in the Atlanta, Georgia area. His name was Greg Brezina. And I remember him giving his testimony at one of our youth group meetings. And and when he was a college football player, um, you know, he was sort of typical, I would imagine, college football player, drinking, partying, womanizing. And yet, as he says, there was a deep emptiness inside of him, a dissatisfaction with his life. Well, when he heard and understood the gospel, it transformed him. And he couldn't wait to tell others. And the first ones were his brothers. He came from a family of, you know, big football players, and there were like three or four of them. I forget how many there were. But but anyway, so the first thing he did was when when he got his brothers together, he locked them in a room and said, you're not getting out of here until you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Needless to say, it didn't work. (laughs) And needless to say, I'm not recommending this as an evangelistic strategy. The point is, the gospel is so good that when you truly understand it and receive it, you can't help but tell others about it. It's an invitation that's so good, we have to receive it. When we truly understand it, and then once received... We can't wait to share it with others. And that's the message of Isaiah 55. And 
I hope that we won't dissect this passage to death as we go through it because it's so wonderful and so beautiful. And I'm just going to break it up into two sections. The first section, God's amazing invitation, verses 1 through 5, and then our appropriate response in the end of the passage. So first, God's amazing invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, we know in the book of Isaiah, since chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah has been prophetically looking ahead to the time when the nation of Israel, or specifically the southern kingdom of Judah, would be in exile in Babylon. They're in exile for their sin and for their unfaithfulness to the covenant that God had graciously made with them. They're shattered, broken, feeling abandoned by God. But God wants them to know they're not forgotten, that his grace is greater than their sin, that his covenant love for his people is everlasting. There's hope. So chapters 40 through 55, these are some of the great chapters in the Bible. Beautiful, moving passages about God's love and grace and mercy to those least deserving. And it becomes clear as we go through these chapters that God's loving purposes will be mediated through a remarkable figure called the servant of the Lord, who will bring back the lost sheep of Israel, and he will serve as a light to the nations. In other words, he'll bring the light of the knowledge of the one true God to all nations. And even more than that, he will personally reconcile those separated from God through his vicarious substitutionary death. And we see that in Isaiah 53. It sort of comes to a climax in this passage. I'll just read one verse from Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And then it even predicts his resurrection. He shall see his offspring. He will prolong his days. By now, the emerging picture of this person in Isaiah is unmistakable. It's Jesus. (laughs) Can't you see it? It's Jesus. That's why the early church called the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel Because so much of Jesus' life and ministry was interpreted by the gospel writers as a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. So Isaiah 55 represents the gospel call. (laughs) Come, everyone who thirsts. It's a universal call. And he who has no money, come, buy. The paradoxical buying without money means it's free for us because the price was paid by Jesus on the cross. His vicarious death in chapter 53 makes the gospel call possible in chapter 55. So we buy without price what we need, that which most will nourish us and refresh us spiritually. Um, So he includes wine and milk along with water. This is what we most need Spiritually, this is the living water that Jesus promised to the Samaritan woman at the well 
in John 4. It's the water that Jesus offers to all people in the last chapter of the Bible. These are almost the last verses in the Bible, Jesus speaking. Here's the invitation. Let him who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. (laughs) Praise God. It's a universal invitation to meet a universal need, the God-shaped hole inside everyone that only He can fill and only through Jesus Christ. And yet, in verse 2, we see that rather than taking the free gift of salvation through Christ, people spend money and labor for that which will never satisfy. They're trying to fill that God-shaped hole with God substitutes, and it's futile. It's a story of the human race. Regardless of religion or lack thereof, every single person in the world understands this deep longing that only the one true God can fill. One day as my wife Esther was getting on the metro or the city train in the city in the Middle East where we were, she sat down next to a young Muslim woman. And the the woman turned to Esther and asked, Have you found the purpose of our existence? And if so, would you talk to me about it? Now, I just have to say, this doesn't happen every day there. It doesn't happen every day in Wheaton either. (laughs) But Esther had been praying that the Lord would give her an opportunity to share the gospel. And so for 20 minutes on the metro, she shared with her. She was very open and said, well, everything I have to say to you comes from my Christian worldview, because I'm a Christian. Um, She said, that's okay. And so Esther shared for 20 minutes and then for 40 minutes more over tea. You see, she was disillusioned with her religion. She found it unsatisfactory in answering her deepest questions. This is a reminder that even in places apparently most resistant to the gospel, People are thirsty. They're longing for the satisfaction that only Jesus can provide. They're open to the gospel, friends. They are all over the world in the most resistant places. And so the invitation goes out urgently yet lovingly. Listen diligently to me. The Lord is almost pleading, listen diligently and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. The Lord is drawing people to himself with this invitation. Notice it's rich food. This is no soup kitchen. This is the best of all foods. It's what our souls need to live. And then in the last couple of verses here in this passage, God is bringing people to every nation into the eternal covenant made with David. In other words, with the Messiah. It's fulfilled through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting kingdom. Behold, I will make an an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. The Messiah is a witness. He's the faithful witness. Remember, he stood before Pilate. Pilate said, oh, you're a king. And he said, For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. He is the faithful witness 
who goes before his people. He's our leader. He is Lord. And then in verse 5, the Messiah is addressed personally for the first time. Behold, you, speaking to the Messiah, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you do not know shall run to you. Notice, (laughs) shall run. He'll run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. When it refers to the nation, this is the Gentiles. It's people from every tribe and language and people and nation ransomed for God by Jesus Christ, as we read in in Revelation 5. They will run to you. They'll run to Jesus because God is calling them and God has glorified his son through his death and resurrection and ascension. He has been declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, Romans 1. Jesus said, I will, when, I, when the son of man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Like a magnet, God is drawing people from every nation to Jesus Christ. And as they come, they experience the ultimate satisfaction that's found in Christ alone. This is the amazing invitation that God has made, and it's the invitation that we have the privilege of passing on to others. Well, the remainder of the passage now, we see our appropriate response. In these verses, God clarifies what the response to his invitation entails and offers further encouragement to come and to take the water without delay. And I'd like to just say to our missionaries here today, it's encouragement for those sent to preach the gospel boldly and lovingly because God uses this word, this invitation to bring people to himself. So the necessary response, in a sense, it's already clear from what's been said. Those who understand that they're thirsty, nothing in this world can satisfy that thirst, and come to Jesus to be satisfied. Yes, that's true. We think of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But we're reminded now that though the gospel is simple, it's not simplistic. We don't just need our hunger satisfied but our sins forgiven. We need salvation from sin, from the guilt and the penalty and the power of sin. We need to be spared from the just wrath of God that is on us for our sin and our rebellion against him. So in verse 6, when it, says, when it talks about seeking and calling on the Lord, uh, we might want to picture the desperate cry of someone, for example, who's drowning in a lake or trapped in a burning building. And there's one person on hand who can rescue you. So you call out to that person while he's near, before it's too late. That's what the Lord is telling us here. It's like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6. Now is the day of salvation. And Scripture teaches all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And what we see here is that this calling on the name of the Lord necessarily entails repentance. Verse 7, it's a twofold movement. It's forsaking 
the wicked forsaking his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and then returning to the Lord. There's the negative forsaking our old life and our sin and the positive coming to Christ for salvation. It's a 180-degree turn. It's a complete transformation of life from the inside out, mind, heart, and behavior. And when we repent and trust Christ alone for salvation, when we return to the Lord through him, God is waiting to show compassionate. He is so loving. He is so compassionate. He's waiting for us. He longs for us to respond and come to him. And so it says that he is, he is so compassionate and he abundantly pardons. He multiplies his pardon to us. I love that old hymn, His Grace is Greater than all our sins. How can my tongue describe it? Where can my praise begin? Praise God. How do we know this isn't too good to be true? Well, the Lord tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't measure the distance between heaven and earth, nor can we measure the distance between our thoughts and ways and God's. All over the world, including the Muslim world, people have a conception of God's mercy, the fact that he forgives. But there's no assurance of salvation. Their picture of God is like a bigger, more powerful version of ourselves, Like us, he can be arbitrary and vindictive. But praise God, he's not like us. That's what he's telling us. He's not like us at all. He's the Holy One of Israel. This is the the term that's been used throughout the book of Isaiah. The Holy One of Israel, who's high and lifted up, as Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. He's high and lifted up. He's holy. He's the Lord. He's the King. Infinitely above us in holiness. There is no way that we can get to him through our good works or our religious rituals. God had to come to us. He's infinitely loving and compassionate, and he loved us so much that he sent his only son to live the perfect sinless life we could never never live, and then to die the death that we deserve on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then he rose for our justification, (laughs) It's because he's not like us that we can be saved. And how do we know this message is true? Well, he even covers that. He says, verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. (laughs) You know, we watch how that works, how the rain has been rain the last couple of weeks. I've been watching the grass because, well, I have to mow it. And it's amazing how fast it is. You know, the rain comes, and then grass comes up. Now, we know this happens, but it's really amazing, you know. But if in this temporal, physical world. It's like that. How much more God's Word? You know, we tend to think of God's Word as sort of insubstantial or something like that. It's not true. 
It's far more powerful even than the rain that produces the grass and the flowers and the plants. Friends, it's God's Word that created the universe. God's Word is powerful. And we read that it's God's Word that enters people's hearts to recreate them, to regenerate them. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ that shines into people's hearts and changes them from the inside out. It's the power of God's Word applied by God's Holy Spirit that changes us. It will, it will accomplish its work. Shortly before we left where we were in the Middle East, there was another young lady who showed up at our church, and you could tell that she was deeply interested in what was going on in our worship service, and in particular in the teaching of God's Word, which she had never heard. She didn't know, I don't know why, she didn't know you could actually teach the Bible and that it had something that was interesting and, and helpful. And you could just tell that, that something was happening in her life. She had been brought to our church through, through friends um, who were attending our church, and over just a few months of them witnessing to her and sharing the gospel and her hearing God's word on Sunday morning, she came to me very excitedly after one service and said, I want to meet with you. I said, sure, let's, let's, let's set something up. So we set something up. When she came, she said, well, the reason I scheduled this because I wanted to ask you how to become a Christian. Now, once again, this doesn't happen every day where we are. Probably doesn't happen every day in Wheaton either. But, but the fact is, already that week, in a, in a very sort of providential way, she met a local believer who led her to faith in Jesus Christ. And she was just beaming and vibrant and couldn't wait to tell me the story. And her life was transformed. And one of the first things she did was want to share with other people, even on the street. The invitation is going out all over the world, even in the most resistant of places, the Muslim world, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world. God is changing lives all over the world because his word is powerful and effective. And then finally, the last couple of verses, we know this very quickly. We can see that the ultimate result of this is, of course, going to be joy and peace. Uh, We have sort of an image of the exiles who are coming back to the land, but we can see very, very quickly that this is talking about the ultimate end of exile, the exile that all of us have experienced, our alienation from God. And one day, not only is God going to bring individuals from every nation on earth to himself, but the circumference of his plan of salvation is he's going to restore the entire created order. That's what we see here with the trees clapping their hands and all of this, ultimately for the glory of God. He is making all things new. And so this invitation that goes out is the best of news. Not only can it bring salvation to individual lives and transform them from the inside out, it's ultimately going to transform the entire created order. That's what God is doing. It's an invitation that's so good. When we truly understand it, we can't help but receive it. And once received, can't wait to share it with others. And I said, the example I just gave of this young lady, this is very, very unusual in that part of the world, she immediately began telling other people, strangers on the streets and even her family. And at her baptism, shortly before we left, her father 
came to the baptism. I just want to leave you with three points of application. First, if you're here this morning and you have never accepted the free gift of the water of life that Jesus offers you, and I know there are people here this morning for whom that's true, your greatest need can be met, your deepest longing can be satisfied. That can happen today when you trust in Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins and trust him alone for salvation. The promise of the gospel is you will be saved, and the Holy Spirit will come into your life and transform you. To the missionaries that are here, just a reminder, friends, the goodness of the gospel and the invitation that we have the privilege of extending to others. And God's word, the gospel, remember, is powerful and effective. So please, don't be ashamed of the gospel, as Paul said, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Make sure that you're preaching the pure gospel, because that's what God uses to transform lives. Proclaim it with boldness and love. And then lastly, to the congregation as a whole, for those of you that are here, you may not be a part of college church, you may have just come in, you may be visiting, you may be a student, I don't know your situation. But remember what Jesus said in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, when that seed, the word of God, comes into a person's life and they understand it. That's how Jesus put it there, when they understand it. In other words, it sinks down into somebody's heart. It will bear fruit. And I'd like for you who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'd like for you to think about how God is calling you to share this with others. Of course, you're called to do it here in Wheaton, but he may be calling you to do it overseas. There are still billions of people that haven't heard this message of ultimate satisfaction through Jesus Christ. They need to hear that message, and God may be calling you to take the gospel to the nations. doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. God may be calling you. Remember, if this is true of you, you freely received God's greatest gift. Now, freely give. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for this beautiful passage and what it reminds us about your goodness in extending the gospel of Jesus Christ to all peoples and to all nations. And Father, I pray that you would give grace to this church to continue to be faithful as they have over so many years. And in particular, I pray you would raise up people from this congregation who are here right now in this service. Father, touch their hearts and call them to be a part of sharing this message of ultimate satisfaction with the nations, for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.